ourselves at the very end of this wonderful letter. The final two verses are for our attention tonight as we look at verse 19 and 20 of James chapter 5. You can find that on Chairback Bible in front of you on page 1013. And I, I do hope and pray and in many ways, of course, trust that the Lord has used our studies through James over these recent months to stir you into the simple matters of faith because James so often is bringing to our attention the very basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a faithful disciple of our Savior and what he's going to exhort us into and unto tonight is a little more than reflecting the heart of our Lord. So let me read verse 19 and 20 and then pray for our time and we'll continue. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again. Well, Father, we do ask tonight through the simple study of this wonderful truth that you would draw hearts unto yourself, that Christ would be lifted up and raised in our attention and our affections, that looking on him we might live, but not just that, you might restore the wanderer, that you might rescue the backslider, that you might bring home the prodigals, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this week I came across a recent study, an investigation done by CNN that was talking about teens who were, quote, obsessed with anti-aging creams or anti-aging products. Evidently, it's part and parcel of this long study that they've been doing, that even someone as low as a 14-year-old is contributing to this anti-aging industry that marks the Western world, something to the tune of $200 billion a year, and it's only, it's only climbing you know, week in, week out, year over year, because we live in a culture, don't we, that's so obsessed with not looking old, that they will spend much money to not look old. There's many people that you might come across and suppose that they're actually younger than what they really are. And sometimes that might be a natural thing, but other times that might be a cosmetic thing. But in reality, we all know that time eventually will win out. You know, hands will eventually shake. Limbs lose their flexibility. Eyes almost invariably become dim. If you have hair left, it becomes gray or white. Muscles lose their strength. Uh, we live in a world that is so obsessed with keeping the external a certain way that it forgets that the internal realities will always prove itself over time. And in some ways, that's what James is wanting us to see tonight when he brings our attention to this theme of the wanderer, those that are drifting from the faith, People that may, from the outside looking in, seem altogether right with God, altogether devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, but in reality, on the inside, what's going to prove itself over time is that they have become unattached, unmoored. They've lost the anchor that is the Savior. And what James is going to exhort us to consider tonight is an answer to a question of how are we to relate to such people. And the reason he's giving our attention to this person, the wanderer, is actually somewhat clear if you just kind of notice uh, the context. We left off last week in verse 13 through 18, and he was talking about those who were physically sick. 
And what did he say to do? He said, well, call the elders and pray. If you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, call the elders. The prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of faith, it accomplishes much. It's powerful in in its working. And what he's going to do now in verse 19 and 20, he's going to move his attention from physical sickness and how it's healed to spiritual sickness and how it's healed. And there's a number of things that are no doubt vital to many of us, significant perhaps in personal ways to us, that he would have us consider at the very end of what is a letter chock full of rich biblical truth. But it's a letter that lands quite quickly. You know, just earlier this week, I was in a preaching lab at the seminary, and one of the students had delivered a sermon, and one of the points of feedback that was given to this student was that the conclusion to his sermon was was rather abrupt. Uh, One of the other students said it was something like a plane landing on the runway, but the attendant or the server had never made the announcement that we're soon going to descend into the airport. It just stopped right there. And if you're familiar with New Testament epistles, it almost feels like James is doing the same thing. You don't have this final greeting to various people that you'll get especially in Paul's letters. You certainly don't have this final doxology. You don't have a final benediction. You have nothing more than an exhortation. Rescue the wandering. That's, that's the main point tonight. It's the main theme. Rescue the wandering. But don't you think, though, it makes altogether a lot of sense that in ordinary churches experience that many a congregation's ordinary life together, when all is put to its place, when all is spoken, when all is told, sometimes the most essential thing that we want to leave with is to go grab the wandering prodigal in your life. To go try in the Spirit's power to to nab that person. That is backsliding and drifting from the Lord Jesus Christ. And James going to exhort us really to have the heart of Christ, isn't he? Our Savior who came to to seek and to save the lost, he himself said. So that's just the simple way I want to frame these two verses. As we see in verse 19, seek the wanderer. And then in verse 20, with God's help, save the wanderer. Seek the wanderer. Notice how verse 19 begins. He simply says to his audience, my brothers... Now, this is the 15th and final time in James' letter that he says, my brothers. He's reminding us that his principal audience, those to whom he is writing, are believers. Those that profess faith in Jesus Christ, who might think of it as just a a local gathering, even though he's seemingly writing to Christians dispersed throughout uh, the empire. And that's important for what comes next. He's writing to professing Christians, saying, my brothers, notice verse 18 as it continues, if anyone among you wanders. Anyone among the professing, believing community wanders. That's who I'm talking about, the wanderer. Now kids, you you might want to know that this word here for for wonder, and the original language is the one from which we get our our English word of planet. And the ancients only knew of five planets. They, They would look up into the night sky and they would see these five planets that, of course, on the early days of watching, it would seem as though they were nothing more, these planets, than just stars like the other stars in the sky. But as the careful watchers evaluated and analyzed, they realized, well, a few of these, quote unquote, stars were wandering through the galaxy, drifting across the night sky. So they became known as planets, or they became known as wandering stars. 
And that's the image that James is using here of those in the professing, the believing community that have become detached from Jesus Christ. They're no longer rooted and fixated on Jesus Christ spiritually in their life. They are, they are wandering. They are adrift. They are no longer anchored. They are, notice as verse. someone might wonder from the truth. You know, what does it look like if someone is going to detach themselves from Jesus Christ? What's it going to look like when someone who, from the outside looking in, has everything all together, but time will only tell that they have actually wandered away from the faith? Maybe you have someone in your life that is like that. Maybe you have a sibling that is like that. Perhaps you have a child or grandchild that is like that. A friend or a coworker that is like that. Well, what should we think about? What might we want to keenly observe in order that someone might not wander from the truth? Well, let me give you a couple of things that you want to pay attention to, certainly even in your own heart. What does it mean when someone begins to wander from the truth? I think it means at least a few things. Uh, number one is that there's an indifference to the means of grace. You know, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, they, they reckon with the reality and they know, don't they, that, that, God's, that God, God's word is their food, that his, his praying to him is, is, is the means of power, that sacraments are comfort, that this is what they need to survive spiritually. But in time, perhaps the Bible doesn't have that strength, that source of sustenance anymore. Prayer has become perhaps cold and Maybe it seems as though you just can't get through. and The sacraments are just these kind of bare representations of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just that. It's not only indifference to the means of grace. There can be, number two, a little love for the Lord Jesus himself. I'm sure that you know in your own life, I trust, and you've observed this perhaps in others' lives, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, isn't there this, this preeminent love and affection that they have for the Savior? It's almost as though they just can't go through an hour without thinking about Christ, who is the fountain, the chief among 10,000. He's the rock from which they're always drawing spiritual strength. But in time, they, they drift, don't they, to other loves, people, places, things, powers, possessions, and, and pleasures Loving more than Christ himself. Or it could be thirdly, they have little love for the church. Little love for God's people. Jesus himself said that one of the surest signs that we're one of his disciples is that we love each other. That we have a love for the church. And when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there's this sense in which they, they realize that the church, that God's, God's family is, is their home. It's the place in which they provide not only Service and compassion to one another, they receive that, this, this source of, of strength and encouragement. But again, in time, they kind of detach themselves from the body of Christ, thinking as though they can kind of go on their own, or perhaps it's just much easier to be by myself, away from all the difficulty that the church can sometimes bring. Number four, it's, it's sin is no longer hated in the same way. It's generally true when someone is converted to Christ, there is more often than not, at least in my experience and observation, isn't there a very tender conscience that there is profound guilt over even what we might say are the smallest sins. But as time goes on, even the smallest sins are excused away as just ordinary in the world. Even the deeper sins are perhaps so hardening the heart and searing the conscience that there no longer is any guilt or 
regret over sinning in this way. And I suppose we could say, fifthly and finally, a sign of someone wandering from the truth is there, there's little desire to speak of Jesus Christ. I mean, it was sometime last fall that someone in our church came to me, and I think it was after an evening service, and uh, she was kind of waiting in the hallway, and sometimes, you know, as a pastor, you can be speaking with people, and you just kind of see over the head of whom you're talking to, there's someone just waiting in the wings to talk with you. And I was talking with someone, and it was, we were having a very long conversation, and, and she was over there still waiting and waiting, and eventually she just began to walk away. It seems like she had given up, you know, chance to talk to me. And so I interrupted this conversation and said, hey, hold on a second. I'll talk with you in just a minute. And so we ended up chatting for a while in my office. And she recounted this story how in recent months that she who had grown up in the church uh, was genuinely converted from all attempts or from all appearances and everything we could see and discern just through the simple preaching of the gospel in this place. And she was telling me that as she kind of walks down the street, she sees all these people walking around her neighborhood or perhaps near the school. And she has this just in insatiable desire almost just to reach out, she said, and grab them by the shoulders and and say, don't you know what you're missing if you're outside of Jesus Christ? And such is a heart, isn't it, that loves the truth, the truth as it's found in in Jesus Christ and when the means of grace are something that you might or might not partake of. There's little love for the Lord Jesus and his people. Sin is no longer hated and mortified with the same intentionality and There's little desire to speak of Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's a place for us to consider if wandering is happening. So what are we to do with such a person that's wandering from the truth? Well, we're to seek them out, aren't we? Notice the end of verse 19. We're to bring him back. Our kids, that language of bring back, it actually pictures turning someone around. So maybe, children, you can think about going on a hike with your family or with some friends, and there's only one path to make it to the destination, to make it to the end, to to make it to the summit, and then maybe you turn around at one point and you realize a brother, a sister, a friend, they're wandering off this other path. And you go back and turn them around, as it were, and say, no, we got to get back on this path because that's the only way we can get there. That's the idea, isn't it, here, that spiritually speaking, we see someone wandering away from the truth and with all love and compassion and courage and and earnestness, we're we're taking them by the heart and turning them around to get them back on that straight and narrow path, the only way that anyone can be made right with God. So what James seems to have in mind here is not just, of course, a person wandering from the truth. It's not someone who's gone into a place of full rejection of the truth, what the New Testament would refer to as apostasy, but no doubt someone that is in a place that is quite concerning spiritually. And the first thing he calls us to do is to seek the wanderer. And then verse 20, he tells us to, with God's help, save the wanderer. Save the wonder. What, what old Christians and old preachers would call soul winning is really what he has in mind here. And in all my readings in church history, there's a few, very few, if any, uh, men that have encouraged me in this idea of soul winning and frankly convicted me in this idea uh, of soul winning, like Charles Spurgeon. I mean, he would speak about these occasions in which he would be preaching to dozens and more often in his ministry, thousands. And there's a place in his autobiography where he says something akin to, you know, I would, I would look out over these people and it was as though my heart was just beating out of my chest. And he says, essentially, my eyes are popping out of my sockets. So earnest as I am for their souls to be one. And he began to 
kind of disciple and lead his congregation in this way. His, his elders were supposedly always on the watch for souls. And he referred, referred to one of his deacons as my hunting dog because he's always ready to pick up the wounded bird. Someone who's intentionally and earnestly doing exactly what James says. Notice verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, it's certainly possible, and it's why if you were to ever study this passage in any depth, invariably you have to kind of ask the question at verse 20, does James have, does James have in mind these blessings of salvation and covering applied to the person restoring or the person wandering? And if you look again with that question in mind at verse 20, it might make sense why you'd ask such a question. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul. Well, who's the soul? Well, doesn't it seem right and balance of Scripture and the fullness of God's Word to understand, of course, the salvation and covering to apply to the person that's wandering, the person that's backsliding, the person that is no longer anchored to Christ in the same way, that your warning efforts, that your earnest efforts, that your prayerful efforts, all these are things that will, in God's help, save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so maybe one thing that you want to recognize right here in verse 20 is the terrible fate that belongs to wanderers that don't turn back. Now you can certainly see that, can't you, by way of implication that if they don't turn back, what awaits them but death, not a covering of sins with the love of the Father and Jesus Christ, but it's a covering of those sins with the wrath and judgment for all eternity that those sins deserve. He's calling us to rescue the wandering, seeking and, and saving them with his sovereign help. You know, I've got these books in my office that many of which are these collections of, of pastoral letters that old pastors would write. And it, of course, belongs to a different time when uh, that medium of writing letters was a normal way that pastors engaged in their shepherding ministry and one of those letters that has so often stuck with me through the years is a letter from an older pastor to what well, really was a boy in his parish. And this, this young man had suddenly and unexpectedly basically been kicked out of his father's house. And, and the pastor was writing to this young boy, talking about the difficulty in which he found himself. And uh, somewhere towards the beginning of that letter, he began to talk about the period in his own life, the pastor, when he had this unusual hardship spiritually. And he said to the boy, I had no friend who cared for my soul. I had none to direct me to the Savior, none to awaken my slumbering conscience, none to tell me about the blood of Jesus washing away all sin, none to tell me of the Spirit who's willing to change the heart and give victory over passions. I had no minister to take me by the hand and say, come with me and I will show you good. And he goes on in the next few sentences to say, all I, all I want to be to you is a finger post, was his phrase. Uh, a post, this finger that's pointing you to Jesus Christ. And we want to be a place, don't we? We want to be a congregation. We want to be a people that are very much like that in our heart's desire. Just finger posts to people that are wandering. Finger posts to people that are backsliding. Finger posts to prodigals. Saying, I can point you the way home. 
I can turn you around and put you on the path to eternal life. So if that's to be true among us, let us close by simply mentioning three more things from our passage. The first of which is the possibility of wandering. The possibility of wandering. We have to reckon with the reality that you might be sitting near tonight and you might be wandering. It's really not incumbent upon you to go about the restoring work. As for you, perhaps through the study of God's word and the ministry of God's spirit to realize that you have wandered and are wandering from the truth. You have to realize it might actually be us, it might be you, that needs to be restored. So consider the possibility of, of wandering. Number two, consider the instrumentality of restoring. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were with us last week, you can kind of glance up to verse 13 and, and following He continues this language that's mentioned here in verse 19 of if anyone, if anyone. And you remember when it came to the sick, the physically sick, what James said to do was call the elders and they will pray for you and God will heal you. So call the pastors when the problem presents itself. But do you see when it comes to spiritual sickness, he doesn't say call the pastors says, if anyone among you sees such a person, you go and restore them. You go and turn them back. It's not just the dedicated ministers. It's not just the specialized clergy that are supposed to go about this restoring and rescuing work. It's ordinary people like you and me. It's a call. It's a commission that belongs to anyone and everyone in Jesus Christ. So for you tonight, the question might not be precisely, is it possible you're wondering, but maybe you're meant to be the instrument of God restoring a sinner to faith in Jesus Christ. Because we do have times, don't we, in the Bible where it's quite clear that that God is is bringing people to faith. God is declaring people righteous through faith, not by any human instrument. You think about Abraham in the Old Testament. We don't know anything from Genesis chapter 12 that would tell us that was anything other than this divine, direct revelation of God that brought Abraham into the covenant. We know it's true, don't we, in Acts chapter 9 when Uh, The man named Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. It wasn't just a human instrument. It was the risen Christ appearing before him in this blinding light. But ordinarily, God uses people like you and me to rescue and restore people who are wandering. People like you and me to be instruments of his kindness, of his compassion, and of his grace. Consider the possibility of wandering the instrumentality of restoring. It might be you. Perhaps it's one of your children. Perhaps it's a friend. I imagine most of you in the room tonight have someone that is wandering, that is backsliding. Might you need to go about turning them back this week? And lastly, what we see, no doubt, is the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ, isn't it? To seek and to save sinners. If you boil James down here to the very end, the concluding thoughts that he most earnestly wants to give us is little more than that we might have the heart of the Savior. Because when Jesus Christ came and he wanted to give his summary concluding thoughts about his ministry and his purpose, wasn't it little more than, I came to seek and save the lost. I'll leave the 99 and I'll go find that one. And that one coming back to me will cause a party of praise to erupt in heaven.
such as the wonder of a repentant wanderer. So then let us, with God's help, be people that are always eager to rescue the wandering. Let's pray together. Father, we we do ask for your kindness and we do ask for your strength by the Spirit that we might be people who are faithful to do that which so often seems difficult to do, which is to grab a heart that has wandered, to grab a soul that has gone astray and, and turn them back to you. Give us kindness to do it, give us wisdom to do it, give us courage to do it, that we might join you in seeing sinners saved and saints sanctified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.